got much in a canopo-nopo-po. On. Monique Bowley is back. Miff Warhurst. Hello. 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 Sandro's still on holidays. I know. She's up to the Instagram oh, game, I've seen. No, it's so good. She's on the Morocco bandwagon. Yeah, and Morocco, I just want to go. I know. She's, she's been incredible. Her Insta story, Zan, we miss you. Hurry up, um, come back, but also keep posting yeah. while you're there because we need to live vicariously through you. Um, yeah. Hashtag not spawn com. Yeah, not, not spawn con. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love a spawn con. <laughs> Can't do any spawn con at the ABC. No. Sponsored content. Sad. Sadly. But yeah, uh, it looks beautiful in Morocco and I want to go. <sighs> You'll have your chance. Will I? When are you going away? You're going away oh, soon. a couple of weeks. Where are you going? Uh, going to Thailand. Great. See her Morocco posts and you up at Miff. You know, I don't think That's I your can. challenge. I, I don't think I can. I she's, want she's hot dog stand. legs on the beach. <laughs> I want ma- I want cocktails bigger than your head. Okay. That's just par for the course though. That's, yeah, but I can't match the tiles, the beautiful tile work that I'm experiencing on her Instagram. If you're not following Zan, get on board because, yeah, you can hate like all of her photos <laughs> like we have been because she's having a great time. But we miss you, Zan, if you're listening. You've got a rival social media thing happening though. With your new cat. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Yeah, come on. Um, Morocco versus Merv. <laughs> I got a new cat. Um, uh, if anyone knows me, knows I've had my two cats, Terry and Steve, for a long time. Um, Terry sadly passed away about, oh, it was a bit earlier than this time last year. And I thought it was time. I mm. thought it was time I got Steve a friend. So I've been thinking about it for a long time. I've added to the family. I trotted off to the RSPCA over the weekend. And, of course, there's lots of stray litters there. Um, not spawn. Not, yeah, spawn, not spawn. No, no. You paid no. full price for paid, that. I did for, for, for my, my, my stray cat. And I picked up a little guy that was equally as terrified as Steve is, hidden, <sighs> hidden under a cushion. <laughs> terrified, just wanted to get out of there. So I took him and I'm calling him Merv. What was the name the shelter gave him? Pingu. Yeah, okay. Pingu. Yeah, you've, yeah, you've I've, I've upped that. You've massively upped that. Yeah. Well yeah, done. I reckon. And I really like calling animals by old men names mm. I think that might be that might be it but Merv is good and I figured because he's quite fluffy he's got little Merv Merv Hughes kind of um, moustache things going on the side and I thought that's good that's good Swerving Merv welcome to the Bang Fam little yeah. Merv yeah yeah welcome to the Bang Fam hopefully he's a little less terrified than <laughs> Steve but yeah it's been a big week big week so I've been on cat duties and a little bright spot in our week was a special appearance on American Family Feud. Yeah, look, it has been a big week in news. There's been a lot of Trump slash Mm. Kim Jong-un discussions. But for anyone else that just went, you know what, I just want to watch a bit of Family Feud, Mm. it was the Kardashian Wests made their grand appearance (laughs) on Celebrity Family Feud. Fun fact, Miff, more people tuned into this than tuned into uh, the Tony Awards, which had Amy Schumer, Bruce Springsteen, Anna Wintour, Robert De Niro, all these beautiful stars of Broadway. People were like, no, no, I want to watch the Kardashians answer questions like, what body part do you bang into things a lot with? That's what where we're at. What would be your answer? What would be your answer? Well, Kim's answer was butt. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. That's amazing. But have you seen the footage of Kanye on this show? It's heaven. He's smiling like it's it's the first time he's ever been on TV. I know. It's like he's like that little kid who's discovered the camera at the local show and the news team come around and he just wants to talk. 
It's beautiful. It's like in all of the things Yeezy has ever achieved, he only ever dreamed to be on Family Feud. Like this really <laughs> is his moment in the sun. I've, you cannot wipe the smile off this guy's face. It's incredible to watch. As someone who's followed him on social media and never seen the whites of his teeth, I was shocked. I know. You can actually hear him smile. Here he is. Um, I think the West Kardashians have just been introduced and uh, Kanye's got a few things to say, but you can hear him smiling. How you been, man? I'm good. Welcome good. to the show. Thank you very much. I heard that everybody's like big fans of Family Feud. Yes. That's oh, all definitely. I hear. Yeah. That's really good, It's man. all we do. Every single night, we just watch Family Feud. You like told once me that once before. Gotta have a feud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. One of the most groundbreaking uh, artists of the last 20 years. Gotta have a feud. <laughs> it's, it's like just normal. Normal guy. It's the first time I've seen normal guy because he's... He exists outside of everything, really. Not so fast, Miff. So this is a guy (laughs) who, as we know, is writing a philosophy book in real time Mm. on Twitter. So he has tweets like, truth is my goal. Mm. Controversy is my gym. I'll do 100 reps of controversy for a six-pack of truth. (laughs) You know, this sort of postmodern philosophy. Mm. Now he's on Family Feud. I don't understand it. But I'm thinking there's something larger at play. There's here. an art project here. Is it? Yes. Yeah. It's got to be a postmodern commentary on families or surveys saying things. I don't know what, <laughs> but I can't wait to see. Well, maybe he's just got to have the views. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. He's a demon for the views. Love it. That was the theme tune done by the John Spencer Blues Explosion for Anthony Bourdain's first of his uh, cooking travelling shows, No Reservations. And it was really sad news this week to yeah. find out about Anthony Bourdain. Um, he 61 and just a really shocking loss in the light of Kate Spade as well mm-hmm. uh, in similar circumstances the week before. Um, but really sad for people who, like me... Love food, but also food shows and cooking shows. Anthony Bourdain has just been one of my faves forever. Mm. And um, and I think there's there's been so much that's come out uh, after his death that I, I feel like deserves some sort of discussion. So many people are talking about how he started out. I don't know if you've read his book, Kitchen Confidential. I haven't read it, no. It's brilliant. Like it's... It was in the early 2000s he started out his career at Windows on the World, which was the restaurant at the top of the World Trade Centre, a legendary restaurant. But he was a you know a drug-taking, drinking dude that just got in a lot of trouble, would get sacked from places. You know, he, he kind of was part of that culture. I guess you could call it a bit of bro culture in the restaurant business. But he was the, a rock chef. Yeah, yeah, he was a rock chef. And, and look... and. He writes beautifully and he writes magnificent columns, all that bit of advice about never buy fish on a Monday. Mm. He was the one who brought that to light in a New York Times article. So if you ever go to a restaurant, never get fish on a Monday, thanks to Anthony Bourdain. That was his bit of advice. But then he took us on that journey around the world. I don't know if you're a fan, Monique, of some of his shows. I w- I'm, I'm not. No. I, 
I'm terrible. I feel terrible confessing this. I'm much more of a Gordon Ramsay girl. Oh. I didn't know about Anthony Bourdain. And so I've spent the last few days diving into it, reading all the tributes mm. to it, but I don't feel as connected yeah. as you do. And I certainly didn't know about his connection to music that you, you were saying about yeah. as well. Yeah, it was a little bit – he had a bit more of a broad approach to food. It wasn't so – wasn't so sort of simple and, and isn't and it wasn't high end. He never dealt with the high end. Like the one thing I loved about him was when he came to Melbourne and I live in a suburb called Brunswick and in Brunswick there's lots of uh, Middle Eastern food and brilliant restaurants, very high end, but he went with um, uh, Matt, Matt Preston, Matt Preston yeah. up Sydney Road, Brunswick and took them to a, took Anthony Bourdain to A1 Bakery but also Town Hall Kebabs which is a caravan kebab shop on our street. So for, for me he approached food like we all do rather than saying this is good don't do that and he he introduced food from cultures without presenting it as other as yeah. well similarly he took barack obama the president of the united states mm. to some small roadside stall in the middle of vietnam where they just had like a bowl of 50 cent noodles and a beer yeah. like and he was the president yeah food, very cool food was the great connector for him and i think that's why his stories were so special and and just really sad to lose that kind of voice in this Quite often, I find a lot of the cooking shows a little bit pretentious and uptight, yeah. and he was the opposite. Um, but he also became quite an outspoken advocate, or an ally at least, for the Me Too campaign in the last year or so. His girlfriend, uh, Asia Argento, is the mm. Italian actress. She was one of the first to publicly accuse Harvey Weinstein of rape. And he, within this, opened up his own mind and was very public about it relearning, you know, about his own behaviours. And the restaurant industry is notorious for inappropriate behaviour, particularly towards women, and that sort of rising up of... A macho uh, culture? Uh, yeah, real macho. Also, assholes. A lot mm. of people who work in kitchens were allowed to be assholes for a long time. I've worked in a few and, yeah, yeah, I did a lot of waitressing over the years. And, yeah, it's just it, that culture is... is part and parcel and he really started to question it, Bourdain, towards the end. And he said, I look back and I hope a lot of men in that industry, I look back at a lot of men in that industry and say, not so much, what did I do or not do, but what did I see and what did I let slide and what did I not notice? So, I, yeah, it's it's just um, so sad on so many levels there. But he also reassessed his own role about that meathead culture. Mm. that he was a part of. I mean, if you do read Kitchen Confidential, it's all swagger and, you know, masculine. And it's you know, he's he was a bit of a dude and not in the best sense of the word uh, back then. But also he changed the culture and he changed the way he thought about the the business. And to have that food. insight too, as you get more and more famous, you know, he could have gone down one path, which was just to ignore all of that, but to mm. come full circle and back around on it and say, yeah. actually what I did was probably not the greatest thing ever. Shows the um, the integrity, the value of him. So, yeah, yeah, huge loss. Yeah. One of the most interesting things I read this week about it, and in the wake of Kate Spade as well, was from DigiDay who wrote this piece called Confessions of Journalists Covering Celebrity Deaths. And what they did is they talked to all these anonymous reporters about what it's like when a big celebrity death happens, what's it, what's it like in the newsroom to pounce all over someone's private business, to pounce all over the death of a celebrity and then... How much content do you need to crank out to yeah. sort of get the clicks? 
And really, like, does it ever feel completely tasteless? And how do you actually sleep at night sometimes when you're publishing 10 stories about one, one person's death? Because after Bourdain's death, of course, there were lots of tribute pieces and a lot of really beautiful ones from Washington Post and the New York Times. But then there were other publishers who took the opposite tact and published stories that were just optimised for SEO, which is search engine Optimization. Is so that how it works? So you just put the more stuff you put up there, the more likely your business is going to end up in a search. Exactly. So what these journalists said is that they dive into Google Trends. So a celebrity dies, they go into Google Trends and they see what people are Googling and where they can exploit the story. So if you, Miff, wanted to Google Anthony Bourdain's girlfriend, who is that? They'll spin a ton of pieces with, Anthony, like with the headline saying, Anthony Bourdain's girlfriend. Who is she within mm. Celebrity Chef is Dead? So um, it's, it's all about sort of the low-hanging fruit that journalists try to get these clicks. And it was so grimy to read it. Yeah, so it's not even really about news. It's just about getting traffic to exactly. a page. So you're not actually reading anything new or insightful. They steal stuff too, don't they, in order to get these clicks? Completely. And it raises this really interesting ethical dilemma of – just because people are searching for that kind of information, like how did Kate Spade die, should publishers have a responsibility not to publish that in the interests of, you know, of actually keeping people safe and suicide contagion and things yeah. like that. But there are no ethics when it comes to the internet. It's just all about clicks and bottom lines and how many advertisers you can sell. And so it was kind of an article sort of looking at that. It's really interesting and kind of a bit dark. Mm, super dark. What's the article called again? I'm going to have it's a look at it. It's called Confessions of Journalists Covering Celebrity Deaths and on with Digi the, Day. With the subtitle, Low Hanging Fruit. Yeah. It, just, it sounds so grim and grimy, yeah. doesn't it? Maybe Yeezy's onto something. Maybe we've just got to, <laughs> got to, got to get the feud. What is it? Got to have the feud. <laughs> the more, the more I think about it, the more that becomes more relevant. <laughs> I love US Band Home. They're unreal. They do dance routines and make beautiful sweet pop and wonderful performances, heaps of fun, um, do great stuff. They cottoned on to something that happened this week and we've been talking about uh, pay parity quite a bit here on Bang On because everyone should get paid the same if they're doing the same job. Mm. They sacked their manager after they found out after working on a festival that they got paid just 10% of another act of a similar status or stature, I should say. Okay, hold the phone. Hold the phone. Hold the phone. Interesting. How do you know that the other act was a similar stature? Well, we don't. We don't. We don't. This is my problem with this story. And I'm all for gender parity, Mm. pay parity, and I'm anti-gender pay gap Mm -hmm. as a woman. But um, And I'm certainly very supportive of any artist that wants to stick up for this kind of thing. There's a couple of gaps in this story for me. Mm. So they holes, said holes in Hyam's story. There are a few holes. They didn't. <laughs> She's hard. Monique Polly's hard. Sorry. No, I love it though. They, Bring it on. They didn't name the event that they'd been underpaid for, and they didn't name the other artist who'd been paid ten times more than them. But what they did say was that when they were booked, they were told that their fee was very low because they played at the festival in the hope of getting played on the radio. So this makes me wonder: is it back before they were big, mm. and if? That's the case. Then why should they get paid as big as as much as a headlining muse or well, a huge, huge name? You might be onto something. The fact that they haven't made it clear or mm. spelt it out does leave a few 
little holes in that argument. It's a little opaque. That is true. But I don't know. I feel like maybe it's happened recently because it's a recent development. I don't think you'd sack anyone from something that happened back way back when. I think I feel like it's recent and okay. I feel like they are of the stature to probably. But also, okay, devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Not all artists are equal, are they? No. Like you can't put, and nor do they generate equal revenue. Mm. So should a Beyonce get paid the same as a home? Depends. But just argument's sake. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. They need, well, true. I've stumped you. you stumped me. I'm you like, lease sales over here. Like, <laughs> but I feel like we should pay Beyonce everything in the world, even, <laughs> though she's, even though she's already got all the money in the world. She doesn't need any more. She's got Basquiat's in the in the kitchen just lined up so the kids can can touch it and peel paint <laughs> off it I and feel I like, don't care and I'm happy. I feel like I'm being a bad sport here. No. Um, but I think they need to be clearer. I think you're right. Yeah. If they're going to make statements of this kind, it does need to be a little bit clearer. Transparency and honesty because gender inequality in the music industry has been such a hot topic lately. We mm. know that there was, um, in the UK particularly, women are paid an average of 33% less than men at all mm. the major labels. And here in Australia, Hack did an investigation, I think, this year or maybe last yeah. year which showed that um, festivals, awards, radio, they're all really heavily dominated by men and that for every dollar a male APRA member earned, so that's the what's that, Australian Publishing Music Association, a female APRA member earned only 77 cents. Yeah, it's, it's criminally wrong what's going on here. So in a way I think statements that bands like Home are making – are good. I agree. Because then there'll be other people that go, hey, it happened to me too. Yeah. And then here we are, me too again, hashtag. Well, this is the whole thing. It's just about, it's transparency. It's about, we don't know because no one says. Mm. No one says what they're getting paid. It's all very secretive. This business is not, you know, it's not out there and open. So I think it's, I think it's a step in the right direction. Why are we playing Moby? As, are you banging on about something to do with Moby? I have the greatest thing ever to bang on about this week. Hold on to your chair, Miff. Holding. You might spin off it. So I read this week that Moby is selling his entire record collection. Every record he's ever owned is going for charity. Mm. This is why it's interesting. So I've got a podcast recommendation for you. Oh. I make podcasts at the ABC. I listen to a ton of podcasts. This is the, probably the best podcast episode I've listened to in the last year. This is a high recommendation <clears throat> from you. Yes. Is a podcast called Heavyweight, and the premise is really simple. So the host takes um, people back to a moment in their life where everything changed, and they might regret something hugely. And he ta- he takes their story, tells the story, and then takes them back to try and rectify it. This episode is called Gregor, and it's about a guy called Gregor who had this childhood friend called Moby, and Moby was a bit of a, a bit of a nobody, skinny little kid. Anyway, Gregor was really into music and he found these rare African chants. And um, anyway, he said to his friend Moby, oh, you've got to hear this music. It's incredible. And it's like all this, everybody, you can see where this is going, right? Mm-hmm. Moby goes, thanks. I'll borrow those CDs off you, Gregor. Takes his CDs, samples the music, creates this album called Play, ends up multi-platinum award-winning millionaire, squidillionaire, right? Yeah. So then his friend Gregor rings him and goes, Dude, where's my CDs? Remember, it's me, your friend Gregor from childhood. Remember those CDs I lent you? Moby does not speak to him for 12 years. <gasps> Just will not return the guy's phone calls. So Gregor makes this song, writes a song called Moby, Give Me My CDs Back, plays it to Moby. Anyway, it's this, 
this whole podcast episode is about them going to Moby's house in Hollywood and knocking on the door and saying, Moby, where are my CDs? It is so... I cannot wait to find out what the ending is. There's a twist at the end. It's just that that classic story of lending someone something and never getting it back, except then that person goes on to become a multi-platinum award millionaire. (laughs) Yeah, so it's called Heavyweight and the episode is called Gregor. Oh, this sounds amazing. I'm going to listen to it tonight. Thank you. What are you banging on about? I am banging on about the brand new ABC television series Mystery Road Ooh. that you can either watch on the on the box or you can binge anytime you like. It's like an Australian true detective show. Like Ooh. it's got the, the mismatched couple who get thrown together of, uh, you know, police officer and detective. Aaron Pedersen is the detective and the police officer, of course, is Judy Davis oh. or the sergeant, I think you call her. I'm, I'm not very good with the hierarchies within the force, but uh, they are in a small town in the Northern Territory and there's been a mysterious disappearance of two young farmhands on an outback cattle station and it's fantastic. Yes. It's high drama. It's deep mystery but also visually it's incredible the way it's been shot there are certain shots aerial shots in particular of roads and and of particular water lines and river lines in the desert and tree lines and quite often I'm looking at these images shot from above and I'm thinking there was one with a road a bitumen road and red dirt that looked like a Rothko painting it was insanely incredible and then there was another where trees are dotted on the on the desert landscape and it looks like a Fred Williams work like I feel like they're referencing visual art within the shots themselves and the cast is really extraordinary Tasma Walton we've got Colin Friels in there Ernie Dingo Anthony Hayes and it's just one of those great Australian productions and they come out every now and then and you you think, should I watch that? And I'm saying, yes, you should mm-hmm. absolutely watch this. I've got one more episode to go, so don't tell me. How many don't episodes the are there? At six, I think. Are they half? Are they bingeable half hours, or do you have to invest mm. the time? You've got to invest, but okay. it's worth it. It's All worth right. it. Mystery Road. Mystery Road. Do it. Do it. Sounds good. Monique, it's just been so great banging on it's... with you again. Thank you for helping us out while Zan's off in Morocco. Such a pleasure. I Thank can't you. wait to see where she goes next. Where are we going to go? Can we... Down to the cafe. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want a lamington? Yeah. Okay. Hashtag lamo. Yeah, lamo time. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bang. 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 on. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like how when you mentioned, when you name dropped all those artists, I just nodded like I knew exactly who you're talking about? <laughs> Double J. <laughs> <laughs>